Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then, there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lab. PG Tour is back in the mainland start of the American Express. In my opinion, we are now entering the best stretch of the entire PGA Tour season. Palm Springs, Torrey Pines, Pebble Beach, Phoenix, Riviera. But first, Rex, there's plenty to get to from the week that was, including this note on Twitter from Twitter user uh, Jason Grant, uh, who said, Rex, uh, can y'all skip the useless chat at the beginning of each pod, please? Otherwise, the episodes are a really good listen. Rex, uh, in that spirit, uh, what's on your mind today? <laughs> More useless chat. Is that what we're going to lean into? Uh, I'm going to start, Jason. I'm going to start very serious. This is not useless chat. Monday morning, I woke up. We're, we're taping this on Tuesday morning. Monday morning, I woke up, turned on ESPN, started catching up, and became irrationally angry at what I was hearing on TV. And jealous. Just filled with rage and jealousy because those... People can sit on TV and they can scream and yell at the top of their lungs because the Cowboys lost and then last night the Eagles lost and they can demand people lose their jobs and they can talk about how bad they were at their jobs and we don't ever get any of that. We never get the opportunity to sit in front of this camera and be like, yep, he should be gone. Out of here. What's your, how do you do your thing? Zip. Is that, that how you do? We never get that opportunity. And I'm just filled with rage and jealousy because we live in, uh, we live in a sport that's far too um, Gentile, I'm going to say. Like, we don't – like, even the, the one person over the Placid. last two – yeah, the one person over the last two years that we could probably talk about maybe should or should not lose his job is Jay Monahan. Even on that front, I'd probably come in a little bit too soft because I have said I don't know if he should lose his job. Like, I don't pretend to know, you know, if he did a good job or a bad job the last two and a half years. Like, I'm not qualified to make that assessment. And yet Stephen A. Smith and everyone else on ESPN can sit in front of those cameras and scream for hours – for people to lose their jobs. And it just makes me so irrationally angry. Uh, it, it doesn't necessarily make me angry. I think it makes me envious that we're not in a sport that's more uh, conducive or prone to spirited sports talk. I mean, the, the greatest controversy that we had from the past week was Carl Yuan receiving <laughs> TOI relief on the 72nd hole of the tournament. It ended up losing the likes of JT Poston, probably $40,000. Carl Yuan banked an extra $100,000 he was granted free relief, made par when he probably uh, would have dropped at least one shot had he had to replay the shot from the bunker. We're not even going to get into that in this pod. It's not even worthy of a pod discussion, but that's basically the extent of that's the it. controversy. That's it. That what had. are we going to sit here and yell about? 
I mean, Grayson Murray winning. Like, I'm, I'm not yelling about that. I got plenty of opinions on it. But I never, even when, I think we had this conversation, when the USGA and the RNA last month announced the rollback, which maybe it's because we knew it was coming and we talked about it for, it seemed like, a decade. But even on that day, when I felt like I probably could have manufactured some rage or some, at least some outrage, and because I had an opinion on it, even that I had a hard time getting really, really worked up. I'm kind of like, well, we, we know this is coming. They had to do something, it feels like. They they weren't going to be persuaded to, do, to not do anything at all. That doesn't seem like it was an option. Instead of instead of being able to sit in front of a camera and be like, oh, yeah, that, that's terrible. He has to lose his job. It, even at the Ryder Cup, when there was legitimate things for us to get worked up about and scream about, we still were kind of like, well, I mean, it's fun. It's entertaining. I just kind of want to sit here and watch the do the popcorn thing. I mean, we'll we'll have spirited debate. Sure. On this podcast, but it's about the it's about the lamest topics. I mean, let's be let's let's be honest. <laughs> you know, like just in this past week alone, you know, the director of golf from the Grove 23 MJ's course uh in South Florida, he got a sponsor exemption into the Dubai Invitational. People were freaking out. I think he finished uh he finished 72 shots behind Tommy Fleetwood, which is actually kind of like ugly and yet beautiful symmetry all at the same time. It's like, who cares? It's, it's it's one of two sponsor exemptions. It was clearly almost like a silly season kickoff event for the DP World Tour in 2024. I just have a hard time mustering any sort of outrage. That's not to say we won't have spirited, uh, passionate debate, especially when we get towards uh, major season, but I'm with you. I'm kind of envious of the sports debate and the sports talk uh, that's going to be really dominating the airwaves for the next week. Uh, Rex, that actually... so. So, so Jason, Jason. I, I, I just want you to know, I hear you, I feel you. In all seriousness, we probably will be a little bit more cognizant moving forward. If this is a golf podcast, you folks are really interested in listening to golf, so at least try to delay our random musings until later in the pod. Rex, a little bit of news from the past week. The announced departures last week of both RNA head Martin Slumbers and DP World Tour Chief Executive Keith Pelly Slummers will be done by the end of the year. Pelly has said that he wants to stay on uh, until the beginning of April, hoping to stay on for three more months, presumably to get this tour PIF deal across the finish line. In your opinion, which departure is the most significant? I think Keith leaving has sort of been in the cards a long time. I actually called a European tour player who I talked to a lot about this the day it happened. And I think no one falls up better than Keith Pelly, which was a very backhanded comment. I don't know that I particularly agree with it, but there had been talk all along that he wanted to move on. Specifically, he wanted to move on to the NHL. He wanted Bettman's job. He wanted to be the commissioner there. This is probably the next best thing because he'll be in Toronto. I think he's going to be working with a group that owns the Maple Leafs and a lot of other sports franchises. He's from Canada. It makes perfect sense. I think the only, and this is where I am going to manufacture that outrage. I think the one thing that got me sideways about this is everyone's more than, you know, free to go and, and pursue whatever your dreams are. If you have a bucket list job, by all means, man, go after it, enjoy yourself. And this particular case, I don't know that he's going to see the job through. That's my problem. I know he said he feels like they can get something done before April 2nd. And I feel like there is movement on the front between the PGA tour and Saudi Arabia's public investment fund. But by all accounts, it's very, very slow movement. That unless something breaks real quickly over the next few weeks, if not months, then this is going to be a long, drawn-out process. We knew it was going to be a long, drawn-out process. I don't know if anyone other than Keith is going to be racing towards a, 
April 2nd deadline, to be quite frank with you. So in this particular case, I, I was a little surprised that he would do it because you want to stay. You want to get the job done. I just joked about Jay Monahan. It seems like he is determined for all the right reasons to stay and make sure the job gets done. So that one didn't surprise me, but I, I am a little confused because as a chief executive at a very pivotal time in this industry, it seems like a bad time to Ar walk away. to take Ar Arguably, arguably the most critical point in men's yeah. elite professional history, right? Like yeah. we're talking at a, a foundational shift that we are about to undertake and he's pulling the ripcord on April 2nd with Guy Kidding's uh, longtime top lieutenant of the DB World Tour. And big fan of guy. I think guy's going to do a phenomenal job. Like, yeah, he's obviously well. Guy. He's obviously well equipped, well versed in exactly what they're dealing with. But obviously, the timing could not be worse for Keith Pelly to land his dream job and then leave at this time. For Martin Slumbers, like this is going to be the end of his ninth year at the RNA. Uh, that's almost always kind of the back end of the tenure the RNA head would have. Uh, when you look at what he accomplished, you know, getting the golf ball roll back across the line just a couple of months ago, he opened up several commercial opportunities of the Open Championship and making that more profitable the year's final major. I also think he did a, I think he did a pretty deft job, Rex, of kind of navigating the tricky terrain that is this PIF investment. You know, he he hasn't been as uh, forcefully against the thought of Saudi backing as like a master chairman, Fred Ridley has been uh has, has has kind of kept an open mind towards it i think that remains to be seen uh, what that's going to look like in the future but i thought he's kind of definitely navigated that as well i think keith pelly's legacy though rex will be a little bit more mixed what's what's your opinion on how he will be remembered let's 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 just live in a fanciful world where this thing gets done by april 2nd and he can go do his dream job uh, back in toronto and, and live a great rest of his uh, life. Let's say that gets done. What do you think his legacy is going to be remembered for? Uh, if we're in a dream world and this somehow gets closed and we have some sort of combination of this new entity that includes the PGA Tour, DB World Tour, and Lib Golf essentially is what it's going to be. I think that would probably long-term be the legacy. At least that's going to be the lead of that story that's going to be written about his time as the chief executive of the European circuit. I will say up to, up to that point, there are plenty of things you can point at. Like I, I give Keith a, a monsoon of credit, whatever he's done with the strategic alliance with the PGA tour. And there's plenty of people on both sides who don't like it, but I think it was his only option. Like I think he had to make a deaf move and that was it. He, he needed to make sure that they were not only in the game for the long term, but they were part of the solution, not part of the problem. And he moved you, again, you can like it, not like it, that the DP World Tour essentially became a feeder system for the PGA Tour. But what he did is create a pathway for the top 10 players to play their way onto the PGA Tour. I think if you look dig a little bit deeper, I'd love some of the initiatives that he's had over his tenure as chief executive over there. You look at some of the events that they've introduced with, with shot clocks and some of the things that they've done to be a little bit more creative. And certainly the way they continue to expand their tour globally, whereas the PGA Tour can sort of seemed like it was always shrinking, becoming more and more American-centric. DP World Tour just kept branching out. I think all of those things will be pointed to as part of his legacy. But the biggest one, of course, would be any kind of agreement between them and the PIF and the PGA Tour. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be mixed. I think it's going to be complicated. I think it's going to be nuanced. He was certainly lauded for his leadership during the COVID pandemic and and, and getting golf tournaments on the schedule with reduced purses, but still 
being open for business that summer when when so many other sports w- were shutting down. The reason I say complicated a mix is because he did have an option. Keith Pelly did entertain the Saudi's financial backing for the circuit and ultimately decided against it. Now, who knows how how that could have turned out, right? If if the PIF had all of a sudden started pumping uh, millions, if not billions of dollars into the European tour, you know, would that be the preeminent golf circuit as we sit here on January 16th, 2024? Who knows? I think what we do know for sure is, is that the DP World Tour did strengthen its alliance with the PGA Tour. It did alienate some longtime European stalwarts, whether it's Lee Westwood, Sergio Garcia, Ian Poulter. And I think it's indisputable that they've effectively rendered the old European tour, as as you said, a, a feeder system with the top yeah. 10 players now getting PGA Tour membership. They can They can put a PR spin on this however they want, but each and every year, the 10 best performers on the European tour are being promoted to the PGA Tour. That is the definition of a feeder system. If Keith Pelly can help get this deal across the line, if we can develop some sort of world circuit where you know the, the elite PGA Tour players are playing a schedule that's predominantly uh, in, in America, but you're borrowing some of these national opens or some of the, the marquee events on the DP World Tour, I think everyone wins. And I, I, I agree with you. I think that's going to be a large part of his eventual legacy as well if he can get across the line. And and I will say this. I mean, along with Jay Monahan, I'm not quite sure. And again, this goes back to him getting fired, him not getting fired, either one of them. I, I don't know that anybody was equipped for what happened in golf really in the world over the last five to six years where you pointed out the pandemic. And I've, I've gone a step further when it came to Jay Monahan that essentially during his tenure, as commissioner, he lost Tiger Woods as a regular competitor. I think I did the math. Since Jay Monahan has been commissioner, Tiger Woods has played 14 regular season events. So essentially, Tiger retired in his in, during his tenure. And then you factor in what became the PIF and Live Golf and the quote-unquote irrational threat. I'm not quite sure anybody was prepared for that. So looking back, you're right. I, I love when you mentioned that the, the other side of it, it's the Malta meeting, right? It's it, it sounds so sinister, and it sounds like it's the start of a really, really good movie. And it, it really wasn't, it turns out, because we don't know what, what the conversation exactly was there. But whatever the offer the PIF was making to the European Tour, they clearly got a better deal from the PGA Tour. Maybe time and more daylight, and we understand exactly what was on the table from both sides. We'll change that opinion. But I think he did a very good job, or at least a good job as commissioner. Yeah, I think at, at that time, Keith Pelley wanted to be, as Roy McIlroy once said, on the right side of history. Uh, but now, as we have seen over the past two years, funny uh, how that changes. Sport is certainly changing. Rex, let's keep it on the DP World Tour for a minute. The Dubai Invitational, Roy McIlroy and Tommy Fleetwood were the headliners for this one. I found myself uh, oddly uh, enraptured by what was unfolding at like 6.30 a.m., on Sunday, I'm I'm up, of course, because uh, Cam refuses to sleep in uh, on on the weekend. And Roy McIlroy looked like he had it in the bag, and then he didn't. And he looked like he had it in the bag once more, and then blew it on the 72nd hole. If you guys missed it, Roy was leading by a single shot on the tee of the 18th hole, and rope hooked his tee shot into the water, made bogey, and Tommy Fleetwood poured in a 15 foot birdie putt uh, to win 
the golf tournament, his seventh on the DP World Tour. So what do you take away more from what was kind of a silly season event? 60 pros, 60 amateurs, as we mentioned, the director of golf at MJ's course in South Florida, finishing a whopping 72 shots behind Eddie Pepperell calling him uh, basically Ken from Barbie, does not care if Ken from Barbie is in the field. He does not want a player of Ken Wyan's caliber in the field. What would you take away? Roy's loss, Fleetwood's win. What was the headline for you? Well, you, you called it a silly season event, and I think Eamon Lynch called it something similar on golf today when we did the roundtable yesterday. And I'm drawn to the idea that 60 players, 60 amateurs is essentially what we're going to have at Pebble Beach in a few weeks, and that's a signature event. So I'm not quite sure how we're going to reconcile those two different opinions. It, yeah, probably the quality of the field wasn't what you would expect it to be. And I think from and it's twofold. One, from Rory's perspective, he has a really good history. Like at this point, we, we know who and what Rory McIlroy is, and he's really good showing up beginning of the year after taking a couple weeks off and, and being pretty good. Like he has found a way to not start slow, which a lot of players would in that situation. In this particular case, there were like, there was rust. And you talked about the misdrive on the 72nd hole. That's not Rory. Like when Rory's playing his best, he doesn't miss that drive. You talk about the three putt from essentially three feet, I think on the 14th hole on Sunday. Again, that's just a mistake that I don't think he makes mid season form. I actually went kind of the other way, though. I like what this could possibly do for Tommy Fleetwood. Even if this was, I don't know what you want to call it, a secondary event, a, a silly season event, whatever the case may be, you still beat Roy McIlroy on a Sunday to win a trophy. And that does something for you. And when it came, when it comes to Tommy Fleetwood, and you've looked at sort of the arc of his career over the last few years, I think this could be a boost for him coming into this season. Not saying it's going to translate into wins in the United States or major championship wins, but it certainly shows that he's on the right path. The only difference between the Dubai Invitational and the AT&T Pebble Beach National Pro-Am is about $18 million. A, a well, all event. right. No, that's not fair. And Pebble that's, Beach, to be fair. That's, that's Yeah, that's the main difference as well. I was, I was definitely struck by Rory's demeanor and how he, how he acted during what became a final round loss. Uh, I mean... Rory almost always shows up sharp for his first event mm. of the new year. He's the defending champion uh, this week at the Dubai Desert Classic. His record uh, in what is typically his first event or uh, either Abu Dhabi is, is outstanding. Like he always comes ready to play. And yet he seemed to have this built-in excuse of, you know, it's going to be sloppy. I, you know, I'm, I'm staying on site this week because I want to knock some rust off my game and get my game sharp for the rest of the season. Like he, he, he didn't have the past two months to be, you know, saddled with, with, with nine or 10 hour board meetings. Like this was supposed to be the new Rory in 2024 where he's, he's hungry, he's focused, he's not distracted by all this off, off course stuff. And yet he seemed to have this built in excuse already. Like he was, he was plenty sharp. Like he, he finished top 10 in every major statistical category for this tournament. And yet some of his mistakes I thought were, were really sloppy. Some were, were physical, obviously like the, like the hook into the water uh, on 18, but some of them were mental as well. Just kind of pure lapses of concentration, whether it was hitting an iron uh, in the water on the front nine on Sunday. Uh, he made a quad in the second round, actually did well to rally uh, just to take the halfway lead. Uh, and obviously the the three putt from either two or three feet uh, on the 14th. Well, those were just kind of all curious. And, and it added up to a, a, a bizarre scene, which kind of speaks to the stature of the event where he's, He's fist bumping Tommy Fleetwood. He's hugging Tommy Fleetwood. He's walking off the 18th green as gracious as could possibly be after losing the golf tournament with his arms slung 
around Tommy Fleetwood. I get that they're friends, but it was it was just kind of a it was a it was a very strange reaction to losing the golf tournament over the past year. Again, we're, this is not this is not the Masters. This is not a major championship. I get that they're friends, but didn't it all seem just slightly strange? Just how noble, just how gracious Roy was being after losing the golf tournament. You guys had that conversation yesterday on golf today. I didn't take it that way only because he and Tommy are so close. I mean, they, we named him Fleetwood Mac at the Ryder cup. Like these two are essentially, well, he's got a lot of friends on tour. That doesn't mean he's, his arms he, slung over their shoulder. Walking he does, the but I've never really tournament. seen uh, outside of the, uh, excuse me. That's a fine um, outside of him ripping his shirt off. That, I think that was in Dubai as well. <laughs> Again, comically, one of the best scenes I can ever imagine in my mind because we didn't actually get the physical ripping of the Hulk shirt off, but I can only imagine how he struggled with it and he couldn't quite get it. Outside of that particular episode, I don't really remember him ever like sulking away. No, he's like, always a he's always a he's I would call him a, a good loser at least in at least in public, right? Like he's he's well, I guess the I guess the Patrick Cantlay Ryder Cup. Uh, would would probably be a, a different example. Uh, that's another one too. Of, there's, of there's a rage of, monster of, in there somewhere. Apparently, that, that of Roy's on yes. on course behavior. But but typically, like in a in a post in a post round press conference, like he's typically complimentary of us playing competitors, and you know he he wishes them well and, and says all the right things. I was just struck that 15 minutes earlier, he doomed his chance to win a golf tournament, and yet he's he was smiling and and seemingly happy about it, and easy to kind of chalk this away. To, to simply some some rusty mistakes. Uh, I guess to your point, what, what do they call a someone who's a, a good loser? They're a good a loser. bad winner. Yeah. Oh, I I, well, I just I'm going to go ahead and just say at this stage in Rory's career, I don't know why he would get worked up over that particular event. Like, look, anybody, everybody wants to win, and I know in the heat of the moment, it's easy to get carried away. At this stage in his career, he knows the events that matter, and he knows where his game needs to be. Not now. I don't think he's worried about the second week of January, exactly the state of his game. It's going to be that first week of April that he's worried about the state of his game at that point. And you could say the same thing about the other major championships this year. So no, I, I didn't read too much into that. I, I guess I get your point when you look, I mean, you, you counterbalance that to what happened at the Sony open. And I would ask you like the reaction that you saw from Ben on from Keegan Bradley, um, it, that to me was the opposite end of that. Those two guys were gutted about that finish, the playoff, not being able to get it done, the way everything sort of flipped there on that first playoff hole. So I guess I get where you're coming from, but in Rory's mind, you said it. I mean, this felt like a silly season event. Yeah. And, and maybe, you know, obviously he had probably 10 to 15 minutes to process what was happening. Rory McIlroy did after hitting the tee shot in the water. He probably figured that was his uh, opportunity that was lost while Ben on like literally missed a four footer, didn't hit the hole and was processing that in real time as he was walking off the green. I think maybe I'm just projecting. I, I think I think all of us want Roy to kind of recapture the old swagger, the old hunger, uh, the 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 alpha of his 24, 25-year-old days when he's just a dramatically different person and player at age 34 than he was then. Uh, I think that could be it. And I think 2024 is is setting up to be a hugely significant moment for Roy's career. Now a decade without a major championship. Again, he does not have the distractions that have been kind of dogging him for the past two years. Like this is his opportunity to seize it and still some of the best form of his career and, and really capitalize on it. And this just seemed like an opportunity squandered as, as it relates to Tommy Fleetwood, at least Rex, like 
actually think this was somewhat meaningful for him. You look at his PG mm-hmm. Tour st- statistics from 2023, like that was the best season he's ever had. No, he did not win, and he has continued to not win on the PGA Tour. But overall, worldwide, he had 10 top 10s last season. He's up to 11th in the world ranking now, just one off his uh, career high. He has plenty of major championship experience You know, in the year's final major, the Open Championship at Royal Liverpool. He was going head-to-head with Brian Harmon there, and we know how that all turned out. But he's like he's given himself plenty of opportunities now. I think we kind of know who Tommy Fleetwood is at this point, a player who is kind of going to live between 10th and 20th in the world ranking. He's going to pick up uh, a couple of wins over a period of time, maybe not win as much as we think a flusher like him should. But I really do think that beating Rory head-to-head, even if it is just kind of a silly season event, uh, I think they could be a huge confidence booster and and perhaps now sets him up uh, to get his first multi-win season uh, since 2017. 10 to 20 in the world, that's a good spot to be. Yeah, it's very, it's very, it's very comfy. Yeah. It's the expectations are not are not overly high, um, and, and yet, you know, you're in everything. You're going to give yourself plenty of chances to win and make a boatload of money. I, I I argue all the time that the best job in the NFL is the backup quarterback job because you get paid a lot of money. You get to hold the clipboard. You get to have the headphones on, and very rarely are there any expectations. A lot I would of prep argue, work. A lot of prep work though to be a backup. Sure, sure. You're watching a lot of film. I would argue that probably that ten to twenty in the world is probably a, pr- a pretty good place to land as well. Cause you're making a lot of money, but the expectations aren't through the roof where you're not getting like this conversation is a perfect example. 30, like, 30, 30, like, 30 to 50, 30, 30 to 50 is the sweet spot. You're probably like, not getting the feature group. said how disappointed you are in Rory and he didn't show the fight. Maybe he's too nice and w- or whatever else you were trying to say. But for, for Tommy, it was, Oh yeah, Tommy was great. Well, th- I think that's the difference in the expectations. If you're one to five, Man, if you don't win in that situation, then poof, something's wrong with you. But if you're in that, maybe, yeah, you're probably right. Like, I'm going to say 25 to 50. If you're 25 to 50 and you're going head-to-head with Rory on Sunday in Dubai and you you lose by one, everyone's like, ah, good job. You did I, well. well I, always, I always joke with my wife that, like, the best job in, in pro golf was being a, a former Georgia Bulldog because <laughs> yeah. you, you, could, you could lump them all in a very similar category. Whether, you know, a couple of years ago, whether it was Chris Kirk, Brian Harmon, Hudson Swafford, Harris English, like they they were all good enough to, to not even come close to losing their PGA Tour cards. Uh, they would always at least uh, challenge for a win. If not win, they'd, they'd make two, three million dollars. And yet they could go to Publix, probably not get recognized and just live a very happy, peaceful life playing in major championships and just living a very blissful life existence now i think you know times are changed a little bit but it probably still is that 25 to 50 window i think that uh, would be a brilliant there. feature to do for uh live from where you you go to athens with brian Harmon, and you guys just go into the different the different grocery stores whatever the case may be the chick-fil-a just walk through go to the waffle house for breakfast and see how many people actually recognize him in athens they would definitely recognize you him. think if so went, yes brian if, if, Harmon. We, if we went to athens people would recognize him if we went to columbus ohio uh, no, I do not think Brian Harmon would be overly recognized. What about Harris Rex, English? Uh, Harris English, no. 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 Chris Kirk? Nope. No. Right. I'm telling you, like you could you could lump them all in one category. Now they've all accomplished uh, some pretty remarkable things, whether it's Chris Kirk and his, his comeback, Brian Harmon with his major championship, Hud Swafford with his, well, his lived, his lived disappearance. Who knows? But I, I think you... Every day our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then 
there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. At Vanguard, you're more than just an investor. You're an owner. That means your priorities are Vanguard's too. So whether you're planning for retirement or trying to save up for your next big adventure, Vanguard will work alongside you to set personalized investment goals. That's the value of ownership. All investing is subject to risk. Vanguard is owned by its funds, which are owned by Vanguard's fund shareholder clients. Vanguard Marketing Corporation Distributor. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Get all lumped them in at least a couple of years ago. Actually, Rex, uh, speaking of a guy who is now inside the top 50 in the world, how about that for professional segue? How about Grayson Murray? Longtime PJ Tour player now, uh, one in his uh, rookie season on the PJ Tour in 2017, and yet it has been a miserable few years uh, marked by alcohol abuse, depression, anxiety, lost his PJ Tour card, had to apprentice for a year on the Corn Ferry Tour, and yet he showed up at Sony, I think, looking and sounding like a completely different player, and he's the player after nailing down a 40-footer on the first hole of a playoff that defeated Keegan Bradley and been on to win his second PGA Tour event. Pretty good story, especially coming a week after what Chris Kirk did at Kapalua as well, fighting very similar demons. What do you make of the journey that Grayson Murray has been on and where he is now? No, I thought the conversation yesterday on Golf Today was interesting, at least in my mind, because, and I think what Eamon asked me was, does the tour need to be a little bit more aware of players' mental health? Maybe Do they need to do more maybe for players? And and I, I know where Eamon was going. My take was, yes, of course, the tour needs to do better by players, by caddies, by employees. I would say society in general has to do better, period, when it comes to mental health. I, I was taken by, and you mentioned it, coming on the heels of the Chris Kirk story. And it's they they both kind of suffered. Now, granted, Grayson's was was not in quiet, where Chris seemed like he kind of suffered in private. Grayson was out there in the public realm, at least on social media. I, I was taken by the idea that this is almost like a lifestyle thing on the PGA Tour. And I'm not trying to make excuses for players or caddies or anyone else that's on the traveling circus. But I remember talking with Scott Hamilton last week, swing coach for Chris Kirk, and he was telling me that even through Chris's darkest days, he never realized anything was wrong. They would go out to dinner, they'd have a glass of wine or two, and then go their separate ways. And it turns out Chris would go back to his room and keep drinking. But you don't know that. I mean, and I think that's sort of the suffering in silence that just compounds those things. And I think Grayson Murray probably went through a very, very similar process where living that kind of lifestyle where you have so much downtime and you're probably beating yourself up a lot over things either you did or did not do on the golf course it's probably not the healthiest lifestyle period and now you've also factored in other things like alcoholism or substance abuse on some on some level i'm actually surprised we don't have more of it as we were getting ready yesterday for that segment i kind of went through the last year 
of players who have become more and more open. Uh, Aaron Wise is one that came up. Clearly, Bubba Watson is one that talked about. Matt Wolf, of course, was a, a topic of conversation a lot last year. And that's just kind of, you know, scraping the outside of the shell. I think there's so much more here. But when you look at a player like Grayson Murray, and I was taken on Sunday, just like I was taken on the previous Sunday, how honest he was in answering a lot of the questions that he ended up having to answer after the victory. It's once you get to the point where you're willing to say, I have a problem. And that, that I am fascinated by the idea of that's the point that you're okay talking about it in public. And my guess is three years ago, Grayson or even Chris would have never been that comfortable sitting in front of a microphone, answering those types of very, very difficult questions. I think it's a testament to not just what they were able to overcome, but how they were able to overcome it. Yeah, I think that's very well said. And I was actually struck. So I've, I've known Grayson Murray for a very long time. He was actually one of the first uh, golfers I enter, ever interviewed. Uh, I started a Golf Week magazine in March 2010. And at that time, Grayson was either 15 or 16, uh, but a highly accomplished junior player in North Carolina. He was kind of uh, in that realm, at least in that world, with Jordan Spieth, Patrick Rogers, Ali Schneider, Jans, Justin Thomas. Like everyone knew he was going places. And yet there was always kind of this, rep this reputation that that preceded him. A little bit of a wild child, kind of bounced around. He went to, I think, three schools in three different semesters when it was time for college before he ultimately left Arizona State. And I did a long feature on him back in 2017. And at that time, he'd made some headlines with some of the things that he was saying on social media. Uh, he'd had some of these kind of anxious uh, panic attacks uh, on the golf course or at home. And I read that story that I wrote uh, on Monday morning after his win. And it was incredibly haunting to hear the challenges that he was battling at that time and how it actually got worse over the past six years before it ultimately culminated with him spending a month in rehab and trying to get his life in order. He's now eight months sober. Good for him. But here's, here's a quote, Rex, from Grayson Murray's dad, Eric who, when talking about Grayson's struggles, said, I quote, I think I'll always be concerned because no parent wants to have a physical or mental obstacle put in their kid's way. I'm concerned because I know how hard it is for him. I would love to see Grayson play golf without these issues and see how good he could have been. Oh my gosh, just unbelievable. But this is what he was dealt with and he's dealing with it. And he's always going to be dealing with it. At the end of 20 years, I think he's going to look back and say that he's had a good career, but only he's in control of that. It is... I think incredibly heartwarming and got to be satisfying for Grayson Murray to see that he has regained control of his life and career at this point, you know, hearing him in his post uh, post round uh, press conference from Wiley, like he's now 30. He's so much more mature. He is getting married in April. Uh, he's kind of uh, rediscovered uh, his faith uh, he's clearly a family man. He, he's he's always had a great relationship uh, with his parents, but I think that's even been forged more uh, now because of the struggles that he's had. He's not the arrogant and angry and jealous young hotshot when he first came out on the PJ Tour. He, he sounds and, and appears uh, humbled and appreciative of what he's gone through. And, and obviously that's 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 the counseling that he's received. And he has certain slogans that he's talking to himself on the golf course and the help that he's receiving uh, uh, outside the golf course as well. But he has the support system now, I think, at age 30, finally, 
to to really make something of his career because the talent has never been in question. Like you watch him play golf at the Sony Open, hits it a mile, really good iron player, and his short game was absolutely sick. Some of the saves that he had uh, on sixteen and seventeen to stay in the mix with Keegan Bradley and Ben on. I'm I'm very excited to see where he goes from here. It wouldn't surprise me if he made kind of like a Wyndham Clark-esque jump in 2024. Similar, uh, very similar games. Uh, and now with his with his life more centered, uh, I think he, I think that's certainly uh, in, in the range of possibilities for him. Well, and it occurs to me that you pointed out that he's 30 years old. And eventually, you'd like to think everyone grows up. That's not the case. But maturity, the game, being humbled. I mean, eventually, it seems to settle in for most people at, at some point. And at 30 years old, I, I would actually tip the cap to him and say, man, like, after everything you've been through, that's pretty impressive. I guess the part that really resonated with me was when he was so honest on Sunday asking about the struggles with alcoholism. And he said the worst thing that probably could have happened to him in his entire life is that PGA Tour victory came when he was hungover for three of those four rounds. And you kind of, it allowed him to convince himself that, okay, this is normal. I can operate like this. And maybe 30 years ago on the PGA Tour, he probably could have gotten away with it for a decade or two. You and I both know plenty of players who played during that era that probably got away with it for a decade or two. You can't really do that anymore because the margins are so thin. You can't give away strokes essentially because you're staying up on a Thursday or Friday night drinking when you probably should be back in your room, getting room service, getting ready for the next round. I think it's a byproduct of the modern game and it's probably for the best when you consider that Chris Kirk realized it. Grayson Murray realized it. I would be curious how many players haven't come to that conclusion yet. Cause I have to believe there's players out there that are watching these examples, thinking to themselves, I can learn from that. I'm well aware that Grace Murray is probably not the most popular player among fans. He's said and done some things that are pretty reprehensible. Uh, but for me, at least, uh, it's great to see a player regain ownership of his life and career. Uh, and I think Grayson Murray has certainly done that. Uh, Rex, before we get to what's on the grill, because it was actually a big weekend in the Labner household, a couple of odds and ends. Before we get out of here, I was struck. John Rahm's Legion 13 team on live. That's what he's going to be calling it. Legion 13 it has not yet been finalized, even with the season starting just three weeks away. Uh, some pro live accounts on social media rumored uh, John Rahm to be in deep discussions with reigning U.S. Open champion Wyndham Clark and Tennessee sophomore Caleb Surratt. Thoughts on those rumors, that speculation, and that possibility. I, I don't get much feedback now when it comes to teams, just because it seems like there was a frenzy right after Doral about exactly how this was going to work out. There was going to be a free agency period. So I really haven't heard much in the last few weeks. I will tell you last Friday, I started getting calls like close to midnight saying and talking to me about Caleb. And it came from people who watch the industry and, and know these players much better than I do. And apparently he was on John's list early in the process when he wanted to create a team. He's exactly what he's looking for. I, I and I almost texted you. I knew at midnight on Friday night you were well asleep. Well, put to bed. Oh, oh gosh, yeah. In. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're up at six a.m. So I, I didn't actually text you. Uh, it is interesting. He seems to have embraced this more than the other captains that I've seen. Whether if that's fair or not, because we don't know exactly what's going on behind the lines. I think the Wyndham Clark 
stuff. Uh, and again, I hate doing this because it's just we're just feeding the machine when we sit here and talk about it. And you're right. They're pro live accounts that are putting this stuff out there. So there's a reason why someone wants us talking about it. Whatever his team is going to look like, regardless, take the names out of it. There's going to be John Rom, a B player, a C player and a D player. That's the way it works out. Whoever those players are, more than likely, at least one of them is going to come from the PGA Tour and it's going to be one more hit during a time that's going to be and only make this more awkward because now you have people from both sides from PIF and the PGA tour sitting in a room, trying to have serious conversations about serious things. And now you're going to throw this on the side. I think it's only going to make it more difficult. Yeah. And, and Wyndham Clark makes sense for live kind of in the same way that, that John Rahm made sense for live. He's in the prime of his career. He won a signature event last year. He won a major championship. He's 29, 30 years old. He's in all the majors for at least the next five years. Uh, and if now he can get a guaranteed payday with the future looking uh, increasingly murky, or at least the potential is there for all sides to be joined together in a year or two, uh, why not make the jump? If you're Wyndham Clark, I would be, uh, I, I, I would be more struck uh, by, by Caleb Surratt. He's a, he's a software Tennessee. He just played on the U S uh, Walker Cup team had a phenomenal uh, freshman season for the Volunteers. The connection with John Rom here is they're both Callaway uh, staffers, and and Caleb Surratt uh, was the number one ranked amateur in the world last year. He would obviously be a target for Live Golf for the PIF if you're trying to shore up uh, kind of the the future pipeline. This was always, I think, the 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 concern if you were the PGA Tour when when Live first launched in 2022. Uh, the 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 thinking and 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 what actually happened was they 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 looked at the world rankings they looked at the golf stat rankings at the time and they just went down the list and tried to single out who could we attack because because you, you could you could get the the Lee Westwoods and Ian Poulters and Sergio Garcias of the world players who want one last payday uh, when their when the competitive uh, prospects are dimming but to be able to snag a Eugenio Shikara a David Pooge. Uh, both who were, were highly accomplished college players and get them into the live cycle early. Uh, that was where they were going to make the most headway. It wouldn't necessarily be in year one or year, year two, but if live and the PIF were thinking long-term for the next five or 10 years, uh, getting those players in the pipeline, getting them in the system is where they wanted to go. That's why I'd be so struck by the Caleb Surratt signing. If that does come to fruition, he's just 19 or 20 years old, years old. Uh, as well with a very promising college career ahead of him. Uh, Rex, hat tip to your friend and mine. Russ, uh, Hertz is selling off its remaining fleet of electric vehicles. Uh, if this is, if you're wondering why the hell we would possibly be talking about this on the Golf Show podcast with Rex and Lab, you had a forgettable experience with uh, a Last Tesla. year this week. It was last year this week. Last year this week with okay. a Tesla. You nearly missed uh, your red eye flight. How encouraged are you to see that the official provider uh, for NBC Universal in Hertz is selling off uh, the rest of its EVs? I think, and, and we had to be perfectly clear about this. I neither one of us have anything against EVs. Like certainly, if if I went oh, to a job that was two miles away and I could plug it into my garage every night, yep, that's perfect. Like that's exactly what I would be looking for. What I ran into is if you've never experienced one of these, if you've never driven a Tesla, then you don't have any idea how it works. And so I'm just going to make this quick. When I got in the car in Los Angeles, and I was going from Los Angeles to Palm Springs for this week's American Express. 
And I, I suddenly was just overwhelmed with panic because I don't know how it works. Like when you get in a car, you can see, oh, I got a full tank of gas. I should be good to go. I had no idea. So it took a long time for me to actually figure out, okay, it tells you exactly how far you have. It gives you charging stations along the way. Cool, cool, cool. That works out well. As I discovered throughout the course of the week, if it's colder, it takes longer to charge. So instead of sitting in that parking lot in the mall next to my hotel in Palm Springs for 20 minutes, I got to sit there now for 40 minutes. And that doesn't even get me to LAX for my red-eye flight, as you pointed out. I almost missed it. It's a ridiculous car to get for a rental car if you're not driving a finite amount of time. Sure, if you're picking it up at the airport and you're driving it to the airport Marriott and then back to the airport, fine. You don't have to worry about it. If you're going any amount of distance, you know what? I'm wrong. I did get worked up over something. Thank you very much. <laughs> you, you would rent a car for convenience and having an electric vehicle which would require a 20 to 30 minute charge to get back to full strength is the opposite of convenient. That's exactly what you do not want. No. If you are a Hertz customer, good for you. Uh, we will continue uh, to rent from you and accumulate points. Not sure we had uh, a choice in that matter, but thank you nonetheless. Forward. And speaking of Palm Springs, uh, I used to cover this event. You were not covering this event this week either, Rex, but we do have a comeback of sorts with Daniel Berger playing his first PG Tour event. In a year and a half, a lot of rumors, a lot of speculation. He was supposed to relaunch his career last summer, then last fall, and now he is finally doing so uh, with the third event of 2024. When Daniel Berger last teed up, Rex, at the U.S. Open in 2022, he was ranked 25th in the world, primetime player. They played in the Ryder Cup in fall 2021. You happy to see him? You happy to see Boog back? I am happy to see Boog back because when he's healthy, he is among those top 10, top 15 players in the world. And he certainly goes to where we are in the game right now. Like, trust me, the PGA Tour needs all the stars they can possibly get. And if somehow Daniel can come back and play somehow some even close to what he was before he left. I'm always curious, like these could be devastating injuries that he's had to go through. And it, it has lingered, as you pointed out, like we'd heard rumors he was coming back late last year and then into the fall. And then it was pretty much on hold until now. Now that might just be by design just to sort of set up exactly how he wants his medical to play out. That's nothing new for the way players work this out, but certainly in the case of Daniel, and we've had this conversation about other players before so young, so talented. He was part of that high school class of, I'm going to get it wrong. 2011. Got it. Now Did I nail it? Part of that 2011 class, so much talent, as much talent as anyone else in that class. You really would like to think he can come back and overcome all of those injuries. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. And they've been very serious back injuries to the to the point where he was kind of bedridden uh, for three to six months, uh, really dealing with a lot of pain and discomfort. I'm happy to see Boog back. A lot of swagger. Uh, he's definitely got some DJAF in him. Uh, I love to see Boog. Every day, our world gets a little more connected but a little further apart. But then there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. At Vanguard, you're more than just an investor. You're an owner. That means your priorities are Vanguard's too. So whether you're planning for retirement or trying to save up for your next big adventure, Vanguard will work alongside you to set personalized investment goals. That's the value of ownership. 
All investing is subject to risk. Vanguard is owned by its funds, which are owned by Vanguard's fund shareholder clients. Vanguard Marketing Corporation Distributor. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I can hope he returns to form quickly. Rex, it was a big week on the grill for yours. Truly, we'll get to that in a second. But for the wild card playoff round, which actually extended three days, uh, plus the Sony Open, what'd you fire up on the grill? It was a uh, meat-driven Sunday, and I, I told my kids this. My wife was out of town, so it was just me and the boys. And so we like I made the arrangements that it was going to be sun up to sundown. It was going to be nothing but uh, just, we were just going to. I smoked a pork butt. I did chicken wings, and I did ribs for the. That was like the the matinee at night. So I was out there all day long because it was the for me that was pretty much going to be the last. Well, it is the last football weekend. Like I go, I leave on Sunday to go up to Connecticut. Don't get back. I guess I'll be around for the conference championships. Yeah. Yeah. Conference championships is Sunday of Tory week. That's why Tory Ponds is ending on that Saturday to, to basically clear away for the NFL conference right. championships on that Sunday. Although you'd probably be leaving first thing that Monday morning to get to Pebble for the signature. Uh, second uh, signature I didn't even think about that. Yeah, you're right. So this was going to be it. So we went out with a bang. It was pretty good. Would you fire up? So this was a big weekend for yours truly as well. I want to preface this by saying this may actually be the last what's on the grill segment, or at least what? the last what's on oh, the grill segment, which we could actually do uh, some pretty serious grilling and not just with like some portobello mushrooms. I do have a biometric screening uh, mm. scheduled for Thursday. Have not had blood work done uh, in about three years time. And so if that comes back uh, how it did six or seven years ago, with base with basically indicating that I'm on death's door, uh, there may need to be some lifestyle changes that are implemented. But until then, it definitely feels like we are cramming for this test. Uh, I got some pill I'm supposed to be taking for the next couple of days, hoping it flushes uh, all those fatty acids out of my body. But I've always wanted to do hibachi on the Blackstone, but I'm a little bit scared. I didn't necessarily like all of the prep work and the knife work that was going to go into it. And look, Doing hibachi on the Blackstone is a lot of work. It's a lot no. of ingredients. It's a lot of cutting. It's a lot of chopping. It's a lot of crying with all the onions that you have to do. But I have to say, it was absolutely worth it. It was delicious. We did uh, beef and chicken hibachi, threw some mushrooms in there, threw some onions, threw some peppers, uh, did, the, did the whole fried rice thing. Was it a lot of work? Yes. Do I want to do it every week or every every month? Probably not. Again, a lot of work. But my wife loved it. She says one of the best things that I've ever cooked. Uh, so I will do it again, but probably not for a little bit of time. On Sunday, we had some bad weather on Saturday. On Sunday, Rex, I fired up the workhorse offset, and I smoked some chicken wings. But I didn't just smoke chicken wings, pull them off uh, the smoker, and then eat them right away. I smoked them to about 175, which took 45 minutes to an hour. So I got them exactly where I wanted to, pulled them off in a pan. And then for Christmas, uh, my beautiful wife, Amy, got me 
a little countertop fryer. I didn't want that whole like Bayou classic thing that just, it takes up space, requires so much oil, is super messy. So this is like basically a, 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 a countertop fryer and you can throw probably 12 to 14 wings in there at a time, or you can fry anything you want to. I was just happening to do wings at this time. And I fried them for five to seven minutes, pulled them off and then doused them obviously in Buffalo sauce. They were outstanding because you didn't just get the smoke flavor from the offset and burning real wood, but then you get that crispy skin that everyone is after and encoded in the Buffalo sauce. that's so familiar if you go to any sort of wing joint. And so I thought it was very fitting that on Sunday and then on Monday for the resumption of the Bills Steelers game in Buffalo that I was having Buffalo wings they were absolutely delicious. If anyone is curious about this countertop fryer, uh, I will be more than happy to send you a link. I know you were curious as well. Cannot recommend it enough. It was like $115, not overly expensive, uh, easy cleanup. Uh, cannot recommend it enough. But that is the way, if we're if we're cooking for a, a party and you don't just want to get them done in 30 to 45 minutes, that's the way we're going to be doing it moving forward. Uh, two things. One, it, it is some prep work to get ready for hibachi, but it's not a difficult, like you're, you're not lifting anything. Like it's, you're just cutting up onions and mushrooms and we do zucchini and then you just pre-make the rice. I've got, like, I've got Lily clinging, I've got Lily clinging to my leg. I've got to get Cam seven different snacks while he's watching his iPad. Meanwhile, I'm trying to, to slice and dice onions as, as, as finely as possible it's just well they shouldn't be they shouldn't that was be fine not, that's the point that was not that was not my definition of fun uh i will do that if not once and i won't do it once a week but definitely once a month that's not the problem and i'm with you we actually when i did wings i believe it was on sunday i smoked them i did mine to like 165 and then i just kind of flash fried them really quick just to get sort of that that you know that sort of crisp on the outside but before i did that i tossed them in the hot wing sauce and then you put them in the fryer. Perfect. Mm. Yeah, I didn't do I didn't do any sort of breading. I think that's what I'll try no next time is to do the breading if you want to. There's definitely a, a window that you need to pull the wings off the grill. It's I think it's, it's between that 160 to 180. You want to make sure they're fully cooked, that they're edible, but you don't want to leave them so long in the fryer or on the smoker that they then become overcooked and they get they get dry. Like you can you can push wings to 190, 200. If you're pulling your wings off at 180 and then you're frying them for five to seven minutes, they're going to be a little bit dry. So there's definitely, oh, and I didn't like fry them. I, I fried them for not, not, not even a full minute. I just wanted to sort of flash fry them to get some sort of crisp on the outside. That's it. How, how high were you using the oil? The, uh, the oil was really hot. I don't have the fancy thing that you sent me that your, your lovely wife, Amy, bought you. But what I have is uh, I do have like a stove that's attached to one of my grills. And so it's just off straight off the propane and that thing just gets raging hot. So it actually, I have to work hard to keep it sort of not as hot. <laughs> just, just, just overflowing toes. Toes are melting when the, when the vegetable oil is spilling over. And it's just a little tiny, like I have a full size, like frying fire that, that it's what I, I like. I do meatballs in it. I, I do everything in it. And so, but it's just a little bit of oil down at the bottom, but it's, it gets so hot. I literally have to turn the, the heat source off in between just to get it to cool down a little bit and then fire it back up. It sounds uh, like a public safety hazard, uh, but that's yeah. a, an issue. Probably. Another day. Bunk, if you're listening, Rex would uh, dearly love yeah. this countertop fryer. Valentine's Day, as we know, 
is right around the corner. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lab. Thank you guys, as always, for listening to this edition. We'll be back next week for a full recap of the American Express, the first event uh, back at the PGA Tour and uh, the United States mainland, as well as a recap of the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. I have not yet explored what we'll be doing on the grill, so stay tuned. I'll give you guys all the deets on that. Hope you guys have a great rest of the week. Make sure you check out Rex on Golf Central on Tuesday. He's the guest analyst, and yours truly. Yes, they're that desperate that I will be doing it on Wednesday. Should be a lot of fun. Talk to you guys next week. Appreciate you, James. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.